Hello, animation fans, and welcome to another iAnimate podcast. I'm your host, Larry Vasquez, and you're listening to episode 73. In this episode, we have Scott Holmes joining us. Uh, Scott has been in the animation industry for about two decades and is one of our creature animation instructors here at iAnimate. Um, he's worked on such films as Ant-Man and Wasp, uh, Lord of the Rings, The Twin Towers, Monster House, uh, Pacific Rim Uprising, and uh, Detective Pikachu. Um, having uh, Scott in on this podcast where he's worked in the industry for many years, um, worked on some really cool films as well as being one of our instructors, it was just a really neat opportunity to uh, talk about animation, to pick his brain, um, and to uh, see what he enjoys about working in the VFX and creatures uh, realm here. Um, so definitely check out this podcast. All right. Scott, I'd like to first thank you for joining us in this podcast. Um, particularly during these kind of crazy times, it's uh, neat to, <laughs> I think, uh, for people that are particularly quarantining them, having to be quarantined, um, it's a cool opportunity to still hear animation and still talk about animation. So I think this is a, a good opportunity. So again, we appreciate your time in this podcast. Yeah, no problem. It's my <laughs> pleasure, actually. It's cool. Awesome. I'm sure it's probably a little easier to get some of your time right now, huh? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, you've been with us for quite some time, both in, I think, the feature uh, side of animation for our, our feature classes earlier on, and then you went uh, pretty quick into the creature uh, portion of our, our animation paths. Um, can you tell us how you got into animation? What was that kind of initial spark and why you wanted to get in? Yeah, I mean, I started in the industry a really long time ago on Flubber, and I started as a roto artist. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, so there was this little, uh, one of the characters called Weebo was this little robot. And so I had to roto that out of a, it had a giant armature attached to it. And so we'd roto it. They would paint out the armature and then comp back in the Weebo. So that's how I got started. And then um, after I did all the Weebo uh, and Roto, it was Roto. They assigned me to uh, this Godzilla trailer. I don't know if you remember, it was Roland Emmerich's one and it was Godzilla's foot smashes through the museum and crushes the T-Rex. So they shot that practically with this uh, rig, this metal rig, and I had to roto all the glass in front of it. Oh, goodness. So they could comp it back onto uh, the Godzilla foot. But two things about that shot is I learned how to track things in motion because if you rotoed it, how it actually moved, it was easier to do. So if you understood how glass moved through space. And also I got to see some cool foot animation which inspired me to like i want to do that (laughs) as soon as i can so uh i comped on godzilla was only a comp artist and as soon as it was over they were starting Stuart little and i asked to move into the animation department i had no experience no training nothing i'd taken some animation in school but i was Uh an illustration major my teacher was all experimental so it was all under camera stop motion stuff um so I started on Stuart Little and our job wasn't the mouse, it was the cats. So we got to do cat faces, which at the time was cool for me because I just got to focus on facial animation, mm. dialogue, acting, eyes, all that other stuff. And then at night I put myself through school. So there was the union, I took classes and then there okay. was a very small school called Associate in Arts that was around at that time. I don't think it's around anymore. And I took animation classes there. So I took traditional 2D, uh, hand-drawn animation, and in-betweening, and assistant, and cleanup, and all of those classes while I was working in the day. So that's how I got into that department. 
Yeah. So you're getting training on the side or outside and then as well as inside having to yeah. jump yeah. into the deep waters of working on this cat for Stuart Little. Yeah, we were doing soft homage at the time. So we okay. were in Maya. Um, and I was learning how to animate on a computer at the same time learning how to animate, <laughs> learning how to do dialogue. Uh, Richard Williams didn't have a book out at the time. So I had to do the Preston Blair version. Okay. And, and uh illusion of life so i was immersed in trying to learn as much as i could about animation from all the sources i had back then it was frame by frame on vhs i would mm. spend hours just frame by framing tex avery and disney and ralph bakshi don't ask me why but i love <laughs> ralph bakshi movies so yeah <laughs> That's how I got started. And then um, there was, I don't know if you remember, but there was all this underground information too. So you'd get, um, you'd get uh, Eric Goldberg had this paper that before he published his book, yeah. he had these papers that would run around. You'd get a hold of those. Yeah. You'd try to memorize those as quick as possible. And, and uh, Glenn Keane drawings, he would have stuff that would get handed around through people. So, yeah, that was how I got into it was I, I uh, just saw a piece of animation and Andy Jones was on it, who's now yeah, yeah. just finished Lion King. He was an animator, senior animator on Godzilla. Okay. But I got to see what he did. He did like half of that movie by himself. Wow. He was so fast. <laughs> uh, his animation was so fast. He was so good. And he also rigged. I don't know if people know that. So he wasn't happy with the rig, so he would just rig it himself, create <laughs> shelves. Uh, and there's a couple of people I've run across in the industry like that. Jason Schleifer at Weta was the same way. Yeah. He was running simulations on Gollum's rope while animating Gollum, while rigging Gollum. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to make a decent scene, and these guys yeah. are doing everything. You're like, slow down, you're making this all look bad. <laughs> yeah. That's actually one thing nice about our industry is that um, how much we're willing to share information and learn from one another. Uh, I've talked to other people in other industries and they're always kind of surprised at how open our industry is. So um, I know some of these other guys have been real open about their stuff. And Jason Schleifer, actually, uh, I remember he did that rigging for animators tutorial, really inexpensive uh, sometime back. And so, yeah, so it was uh, very nice in our industry that people are willing to share their info. Yeah. I've never run across anybody that hasn't shared info. If mm -hmm. you ask, they're more than willing to tell you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's what I like about it. Uh, the, the problem is asking. A lot of animators don't feel like they can ask or they get intimidated or, uh, they, you know, you just have to go <laughs> up and ask because they're all regular people. And none of nobody finds it easy. Even a guy who I thought was easy, you know, like uh, he, everything he did looked great. You know, he says he struggles. But so that's actually really good to know because then you know when you're struggling, you're not. Uh, you aren't the outlier, you know? <laughs> no. no. Every time I start a scene, I feel like I've forgotten everything I've learned in 20 years. <laughs> like, okay, get this, get this uh, wheels turning again, huh? Yeah, it's just every scene seems new. No matter, I have a workflow I've perfected over the years. I've worked really hard at my workflow, and sometimes I just throw it out the window. Don't ask me why. I'll just start a scene. In a whole new way. Yeah, for no apparent reason. Huh? For no reason. And eventually it works out. <laughs> what are you doing? You have a workflow. I don't know. That's yeah. <laughs> now, you said you started in rotoscoping. What was it that drew you to the entertainment business? So I was in, well, I lived in LA at the time. 
So it was almost mm. like uh, bound to happen. I graduated with a degree in illustration. I was freelance illustrating. Okay. But I had a kid and a wife, so I needed a, a job. And I got into graphic design, and it was this really small desktop publishing company. And I started working in the, uh, just outputting film. That was my job. I was mm. down in the basement outputting the film for the graphic designers upstairs. Mm. Eventually, I got into graphic design, and then I met a guy, a really good friend of mine named Nelson, and he started, he left that company to go work at Cinesite in LA. Okay. As a compositor. And then eventually, he went to Centropolis, and then he said, hey, you should go do this. It's really cool. You would love it. So I said, sure, because it sounded more interesting than the hip-hop magazine I was at. I kind of, that had run its course. Okay. Uh so I just left and, and went into Roto. So it was almost by accident. Okay. But at the same time, it seems inevitable when you're in LA. Okay. <laughs> so what were some of your first gigs after um, Stuart Little? Did you stay? Cause so it was, I stayed at Sony Centropolis. One? No, I was at Centropolis at the time. Okay. So it was a Roland Emmerich and a Dean Devlin company. And they had okay. a visual effects company for, I was there for about four years. Uh, so I worked on Stuart Little and then, uh, we did a project called Eight-Legged Freaks, which was this big spider movie, which had, um, uh, I forgot her name. Very young actress at the time. And she's now Black Widow. I forgot her name. What's her name? Oh, uh, uh, Scarlett Johansson. Yes. So she was in it as a kid. Oh, okay. had one of the, anyway, but there were these giant spiders and it was, uh, Roland Emmerich. Uh, protege this guy that they had found in australia and okay. he pitched a script and they bought it and they ended up making it and it was like a b-movie horror thing on purpose okay and so i did that and that's when i really got into creatures because i because i've been at the company so early i kind of asked for a sequence to myself and they gave it to me which mm. probably wouldn't happen nowadays <laughs> i've been very lucky with people giving me things okay so there was a scene where a tarantula attacks a trailer Okay. I have to do that by myself. Very cool. Yeah. And then we did Patriot. And that's my first introduction to mocap. Okay. I hate it at the time, but now I realize it's a tool. It's actually a pretty useful tool. Very cool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but at the time I was so like, I hate mocap. Uh-huh. Um, but I've come to love it. And then uh, what else did we do there? And then I, I worked on Scorpion King and then left to go to Warner Brothers to work on Scooby-Doo, the first one. Okay, gotcha. And we did Scrappy Rex, and that's where I met Richie Bainham, who eventually became an animation director at Weta, and I followed him down there and worked on the second Lord of the Rings. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, I was, was looking That at was super cool. Yeah. Because yeah. everybody wanted to do Gollum, and I didn't. I don't know why. Um, and I really wanted a troll shot. Mm. Um, but they gave me ents and a tree beard which was cool because um i met this guy named shaggy who's now at dreamworks he's like oh yeah yeah i met him yeah and he's super cool uh and what i like most about him is he's all about performance so if you talk to him about animation he'll talk about performance no matter (laughs) how hard you try to talk to him about like technical animation things he always comes back to performance gotcha that's all he cares about so is that something you kind of rubbed off on you from him? Yeah, it's when I figured out, well, I'd kind of known in the back of my head, but the, he really solidified that right. all animation is performance and story. Everything else is secondary. 
I mean, the principles are the principles and that's all important and everything. But if you tell a good story, that's more important than anything. And he was also the first to tell me that story is important in character, like creature animation outside Mm. of feature animation. Gotcha. So, you know, story always gets associated with Pixar, Disney, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But he he was all about that. Even the silliest creature shot is a story shot. Mm. uh, And that's the way you should approach it. So, yeah, that's very cool. That's what I got out of him. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. it's now did you have a tough time transitioning to some of the creature work that you had uh like the you know the tar- tarantula um because you mentioned that from Stuart little you'd done mostly facial type stuff or did you have to put in some extra work too to get the creature stuff down yeah i've had to put into extra work into everything i've done even now that's what i like that's what i'm getting and i, I like yeah, that because it's one yeah. of those things that that hard work pays off you know yeah i didn't go to animation school so every single thing is is uh um is difficult for me mm. so whenever i do a shot i do a ton of research and it's kind of what i pride myself on now okay uh and i still study animation to this day i'm still frame by framing i'm still learning from people i still <laughs> watch jason ryan videos you know <laughs> nice <laughs> uh, i watch other teachers videos on i animate um so yeah i'm always studying so the tarantula one exactly that i had to there was a research paper that we had. There was a book that I read about locomotions in, um, in arachnids and they had the zigzag pattern of the feet. Oh, okay. And they also explained how the, uh, forefront feet pull and the back forefeet push push. Okay. The middle ones are like steer ones. Interesting. Yeah. So, you know, once we kind of understood that and once we kind of understood that there's no side to side like a human and there's, but we had to make it feel heavy in other ways. So we had secondary on the tail and, or the, the uh, abdomen part. Mm. So yeah, so every single film I've come across, I've had to do research. Like the troll shot, I had to shoot reference and that was kind of my first experience shooting reference. Um, and even to this day, we just finished a show. Um, what do we finish? The Shadow Creatures. And so... Which one? Lock and Key. We did the Shadow Creatures on episode 10 for Lock and Key for Netflix. Gotcha. Yeah, so I did a lot of research on Shadow Creatures and horror and blah, 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 and all this other stuff just to kind of get my head around how they move and stuff like that. And we shot a ton of reference for that as well. So yeah, everything I do, I I do a lot of research. It's like number one, one thing I do. And then I still study. I'm still a student. I don't think you ever get like where you don't have to learn. Right. <laughs> Not in this industry, huh? <laughs> Bad news for everybody. You'll be studying forever. But that's part of it. That's part of the fun. Yeah. That's what I said. It's a double-edged sword. I've mentioned that before where it's that it's what makes it exciting and fun, but it's also what makes it uh, challenging because you never feel like you're on solid ground or for very long. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I got to yeah. keep ramping up and keep learning. <laughs> yeah, because everything you do, you have to get your head around, right? No matter what it is, it's yeah. always a challenge. The director always wants it different. That's always like the primary brief is I want something cool and different. So nine times out of 10, that means they want three quarters of it, the same as something they've seen before and a little bit different. Gotcha. <laughs> people, aren't, people aren't really down for really different. That's, <laughs> um, Low so increments yeah. there, huh? Yeah, you got to increment, increment things, but. Now from, uh, so the last one that you were talking about, there was, um, you were at, uh, sorry, what was oh, it called Weta. again? Yeah, yeah, Weta. Yeah, so you were at Weta. So you worked on uh, the Twin Towers? Yeah, yeah. Okay. 
Yeah, which was super cool. Basically, I did Treebeard with Shaggy. He was a lead. Mm-hmm. And then I did a lot of end stuff, like VizDev uh, for the ends, all the motions, runs, walks. And then we plugged those into Massive. And so that's how all the crowd things uh, were done for that. That was my first introduction of Massive. I think they just developed it for those movies. Gotcha. And then I did a lot of, uh, we did a, a whole bunch. It wasn't just me. The whole team did a bunch of um, what they called vignettes. So Peter Jackson didn't have any idea how he wanted the Battle of Isengard to go down. Nothing was storyboarded. Nothing was scripted. So he just asked the animation department to come with vignettes of action, like Ents fighting people. Uh. And then he picked which ones he wanted and worked those up. And then those eventually became shots. Oh, very cool. Yeah, it was really cool. And then for the wide shots, we would just place those same vignettes kind of around randomly. And that's mm-hmm. how some of the wide shots were created. Okay, very cool. Do you feel like you had a little more ownership on some of that stuff, kind of coming up with ideas for it? Yeah, that was cool because the ants were, um, they were old. So they all had to move kind of rickety, but they all had to move a bit different. One was more aged than the other one. One had a bad leg. Like we all came up with these kind of internal stories for what trees how their locomotion would be mm-hmm. um, and, and kind of their personality. One was a bit dumber than the other one or that kind of scenario just so gotcha. we could get around. So they all moved different. They didn't just move like the same. So yeah, that was my, that was my first introduction to kind of ownership, taking ownership of all of those ends because all the other animators were busy on Gollum. Okay. Uh, and other stuff. And I was the only free animator to do some development animation for the trees, which was cool. Very cool. Anything in particular you learned working with Peter Jackson during that yeah, time? He likes, yeah, he likes wide-angle lenses, 18s, 16s. Okay. Um, yeah. I did this really difficult shot that it turns out wasn't that difficult, but he was super particular about the camera. And the biggest lesson I got out of working at Weta was to treat the camera like you're a real person. If you try to do anything CG or with a locator where you're spinning it, he reacted poorly to that. Okay. So he wanted everything to feel like it was an actual person or a helicopter or a crane or a dolly. So all the camera moves had to feel real. They would move in one direction, like translate in one direction. And then you could rotate kind of on a tripod up and down. You would no add no Z rotation ever mm. on any of his shots. Um, that might've changed with drones and everything. But at the time, the biggest takeaway I got from working with Peter Jackson, because I got to work with, Peter Jackson on this one shot because he was super particular about it. And his um, right-hand man, Christian, who was like his lead storyboard artist guy who was the closest to Peter Jackson, was he used wide-angle lenses all the time. It was his mm-hmm. favorite. Mm-hmm. And that all the camera moves had to feel real. Gotcha. Computery, which was, at the time for me, it was eye-opening because I had never heard that. You hear it all the time now. You know? Yeah. Um, but at the time, I had never heard it to the point where I even – made this guy that was six feet tall and I mounted the camera on his shoulder. Like he was shoulder mounted <laughs> and I did all my shots that way through the guy. Uh-huh. Um, just to try to get that feel and get my nice how a real camera works. Yeah. Very cool. Um, any particular things, you know, you mentioned working with Shaggy there at uh, Weta, any other things that kind of were not necessarily, like you said, eye opening, but just brought maybe clarity or something was unique there, you know, during your time there. Uh, well, the Shaggy's performance was uh, was eye-opening, but I sat to a guy who did work on one of the Gollum shots named Mike Murphy, who's a really talented animator, and I saw how he approached the shots, like their approach to Gollum, 
was that they basically rotoscoped Andy Serkis's performance and then Peter Jackson wasn't happy. So then they pushed it and what they found was the more they pushed the facial animation, the more broad it got, the more alive it felt. Mm. So the more they actually did one-to-one with, with um, Andy Serkis, it didn't read, but the gotcha. more they pushed in the cartoony realm, it read better. And that's something that I've been trying to preach to everybody to this day that I know it might look weird when it's in the play blast of Maya, but push those poses even more, push that dialogue, push that jaw a little more open, push the corners out. Because when all the textures on it and the lighting's on it and all that other stuff is on it, it uh, kills it. Gotcha. Uh, so that might be different now with Ziva and new facial systems because gotcha. you're firing muscles and everything. But at the time we didn't have any of that. So we had to fake muscle jiggle and we had to fake um, uh, extremes and stuff to get the weight across. Mm. Uh, so, but I still say like push facial because it reads, it's more clear. Yeah. Um, go out of what is real. Yeah. You know, per se. Yeah. And start to caricature it a bit. And that was the biggest eye opening thing I learned there was that real isn't necessarily real. Real is what reads as clear. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, people, I know it did really well. Um, the Lion, Lion King, you know, um, but I think that was one for me, one of the difficulties I had with such a movie like that, where you've got these talking animals, but that just aren't as very expressive because they were trying to keep it more on the realistic side. Yeah. Whereas if you maybe changed it up a little bit um, design wise, it would give you the opportunity to push it a little bit more. And then you go into that realm of performance a little more, I think. Um, yeah. That was my problem with the jungle book and lion. lion yeah. Thing. Yeah. Was I wish that I know, and it's risky, right? I get it. There's millions and millions of dollars under these movies. <laughs> yeah. and you don't want to listen to some animator going, let's bush it and see how it goes. But <laughs> I just think it would read better and it would be more entertaining. And that's really what I like about this business is I get to entertain. Yeah. You know, whenever I'm done with my shot, I always sit back I move back a little bit. And I say, is that shot entertaining? Like, mm -hmm. is it boring? How can I push it? Am I missing a trick? It's one of the things I learned when I went to London to work at DNAG was I worked with Eamon Butler and that was always his thing. Gotcha. Like, I think we're missing a trick. Oh, funny. So okay. I always ask myself that. Am I missing a trick? Like what would Eamon say? Because <laughs> uh, he was just, he was a weird kind of guy who he could walk by your desk, look at your shop, play once and be like, you're missing a trick. Do this, da, 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 and you do it. And you're like, Oh my God, that looks amazing. <laughs> and then he walks off. Oh, you know? <laughs> <Told you. laughs> Uh, yeah, he just knows. Same thing with Goldberg. When I worked on these Disney commercials with Eric Goldberg, mm -hmm. he would watch it once, hit play, like hit the stop, okay, and then start doing all these doodles to fix your <laughs> shot. I'm like, I've I've watched that hundreds of times, <laughs> and he would make it better. So that's like, what I you... wish they would do in those things: is push him a little bit, like yeah. take a risk, just push the face just twenty percent, and like, yeah, even be more entertaining. Yeah. I'll definitely have to uh, link. Uh, we did early, early on, and Jason actually, Jason Ryan joined me in that podcast because he's a longtime friend of Eamon. Uh, but we did a podcast with him. Uh, I forget when, but I'll, I'll link it into with this bio. That was a really, really cool uh, podcast, um, and it's kind of funny now because he's at Cinesite, and I know he's in London, but you're obviously at Cinesite as well. So it's just always kind of one of those yeah. things that's you see how the industry kind of works that way. Yeah, he he hired me. Oh, okay. He called me up. He gotcha. said I need a head of animation in Montreal. 
Very cool. So okay. I'm going to offer it to you first before I give it away. Oh, that's killer. Um, yeah. I was like, okay. Yes. <laughs> I will now, do that. Is um, Double Negative where you also worked with uh, David Hubert? Yes. Okay. Yep. Gotcha. Because I knew you worked with him as well. Yeah. Yeah, Very that was cool. a cool time. They were small at the time. They mm -hmm. were in their little building. Uh, and there were we had some great animators. I was so lucky on Paul, because I was a lead on Paul. So my Anim Soup was this guy, Anders Beer, who's awesome. I think I've heard the name. Yeah. He's, he did uh, this short thing called Los Gringos, which is um, super cartoony facial animation. Did all okay. blend shape. It's, eight, it's years old. It's, it's very, very old. But it's aged well. It's still very good. Very good friend of mine. Really super talented. No, another one of these rigor, modeler, super genius guys who can do everything. <laughs> um, so he was a soup. He was great to work with. And then this guy, Dave Lowry, was the other lead. And then the animators we had under us are now in the industry, and they're all, like, leads and mm. soups and all super talented. Or David, like, guys like David. Yeah, yeah. Running that whole studio. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I did Hellboy 2 in uh, London. Okay. Came over for. I did all the Tooth Fairy stuff. I focused on that. And then we did Paul, which was amazing. What did you enjoy about that one? That one was pure performance. So it was great because okay. the director didn't know VFX. Okay. The director didn't know animation. So whenever he looked at a, uh, he was a director from Superbad, right? Great. Okay. So he was a comedy guy. Gotcha. Uh, so he saw Paul as his character and he was an actor and all of his notes were performance. He didn't care if the arm was out of arc or pot. He didn't care. He was like, that's his actor. And how is he relating to the other actors in the shot? Uh, That's all he cared about was how that ensemble worked as a group. Um, and some of his favorite shots were just Paul listening, like how Paul would listen. So, cause he was, a, he's smarter than everybody cause he's an alien, right? Uh -huh. So he already knows what's going to happen and he's thought all this stuff out. So whenever someone else is talking, the other actors, he's kind of irritated and bored. Like, all right, <laughs> just finish up here. <laughs> Can we finish up? Cause I know what we're going to do. <laughs> And we're going to do what I want because I know what's happening. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, but that's what I loved about that show was it was pure performance. It was all reference. It was the first time where it was heavily, heavily referenced. I think okay. nobody was really doing a lot of video reference. I know it's very popular now, but at the time, I think there were only a few of those videos that people would put out where they shot their reference. And oh, gotcha. Shot those pro shot progression things. I think yeah, yeah. one or two people who did that. Uh, and we did reference, and it was my, that was my big eye-opening moment for reference. That okay, the work improved greatly. You got to do we would do uh, like thirteen, fourteen takes, one shot, and then the Adam Soup could go through and pick what he liked about what take or what bits and piece, and we oh really? Together. So we didn't do any blocking. We would just do all video reference, and that's kind of how it was decided. Did okay? Did you like that approach? I loved it. Okay, because that would seem like that would save some time getting your, like you said, that's almost kind of your blocking pass, so to speak, because you're at least getting that to kind of approve where you can now kind of run more into yeah. a, maybe a blocking plus or something like that. Yeah, I loved it because I could, I could get my performance across and get my ideas worked out right. in my own head. Yeah. Like without doing any work on the machine, it would take me half a day, maybe a day at worst of just doing takes, cutting it, going back cutting it, like all that. We had a really good um, system worked out. We had these video cameras that don't exist anymore that you could just 
shoot video and they would plug right in with a USB and then download. I forgot what they were called. They were super handy. Oh, like a flip camera or uh yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I remember those. I think that's what it was. Yeah, it's something like that. Um, so we did that. We took all the takes. And then I had this weird technique that I don't recommend to anybody where I would just copy every eight frames of my video reference. And mm -hmm. that was my blocking pass. Gotcha. For me, it worked. For Dave, he had to pull out all the extremes and then the in-betweens he wanted. And mm -hmm. then that was his blocking pass. Gotcha. So everybody kind of had their approach to how to use reference. Mm -hmm. Um and I don't recommend the eight frame thing to anybody anymore because I tried it on hop and it didn't work. I use the same thing on hop. I use video reference. Again, very easy. I, sh I showed my suit, the ref, he's like, cool. And then the blocking pass and then it was done. It really helped my workflow quite a bit. That was nice. really eye opening because I used to struggle. I do thumbnails, all the traditional approaches. As soon as I started using reference, it was a lot easier for me because everything I do is reality based because it's all with live action plates. It's not cartoony. Gotcha. So the timing has to be real world. The weight has to be real world. Um, everything has to be real world. So it's a bit different. Mm -hmm. So that reference is, is super key to what I do. Gotcha. You know, I don't do anything without reference now. Gotcha. Okay. So now do you feel like doing it on the eight? Um, Okay, let me, let me back this up. Okay, and I'll, I'll explain here. I took a, a workshop with uh, Tal Schwartzman, and uh, he kind of talked about how his new workflow at uh, Pixar versus at DreamWorks, and he was there, um, changed things up a little bit, and he used reference as an example. And um, whereas at DreamWorks, when he worked on something like Rise of the Guardians, they were almost, you know, every other, or, you know, four frames. And so it became more about the motion of what you're taking from your reference. Whereas what he was doing at Pixar became more about the performance. And so he wasn't looking so much for every, you know, four frames on his reference. It was kind of like, where, like you said, maybe like Dave Hubert, when it's kind of where my, my golden poses and storytelling poses. Did you find that out for why you didn't, the eight, you know, maybe on eights didn't work and you're now looking more for, okay, where are my storytelling poses? Yeah, so on Hop, it was a bit more cartoony, and that's what I found out. So if I did it on eights like I did on Paul, it felt real, it felt uh, natural, but it felt like me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you, was, you in a bunny suit or yeah, something? Yeah, I was, well, I did the chicken, the big oh, like, yes, yes, over-the-top yes. tyrant chicken thing. Yeah, yeah, okay. I forgot his name at the time. But yeah, so I had a big performance thing for him. And that's where I figured out the eights don't work because it, it, it is real-world timing, and you want to fake it a bit. Gotcha. Okay. When you're doing cartoony stuff, you do want to push those poses, um, you know, and I'm not the best actor in the world. It's something else I realized on Paul. So a lot of times I would shoot reference of other people. Oh, okay. Yeah. So this, this guy named Dave, uh, Dave Lowry was the other lead Irish animator, really great, really talented. And he did the best Paul reference. And a lot of it was because his shoulders and elbows, he was really shouldery. So Paul's really like this, like, Hey, and Dave's really like that. Okay. Um, and then when Dave got busy animating shots, we would just pretend we were Dave and it kind of worked. So, <laughs> no longer um, you're pretending that you're Paul, you're pretending like you're yeah, Dave. You're Dave because he was Paul. Uh, uh, but yeah, so on Hop, it didn't work because it needed to be pushed. And to this day, I don't really do the eights thing anymore okay. unless it's realistic. Okay. Then it does work and it's gotcha. easy to break down because then you can go to fours and twos and what have you. Okay. Um, but uh, for because more things are stylized now, even those shadow creatures we did were a bit stylized. They were a little faster. And when mm. they looked too real, they were a bit boring. 
Gotcha. So, so we push poses now and stuff. So that's why I don't recommend the eights like I used to. Okay. I recommend just getting your general timing from your reference, I think is good. Yeah. But pushing your poses and experimenting. And I always say the in-between should be straight animation, shouldn't be reference driven. Gotcha. That's okay. My personal take. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, and to me, the in-betweens are where the fun is. Like you get to break an elbow here, you get to bend a wrist here, you get to cheat things or drag a jaw. Um, I'm a big fan of dragging a jaw. Uh, during a head turn, I'll even break it and pull it and do all kinds of weird, super cartoony things <laughs> just to see if I can. Uh -huh. uh, yeah. So I, I, try, I do that a lot. I try to see what if I can get away with things like a sneaky. You yeah. Know? Okay. <laughs> no one <laughs> notices. And that means that you did a, your job, right? I did a good job. That's Sneaked right. That in there. But I like to be entertaining and I like to entertain myself. So sometimes <laughs> I like to see what I can get away with in a shot. Yeah. Now, do you approach motion capture the same way with reference that you, you know, you get your, uh, maybe your golden tail, uh, golden story poses in there and maybe even more if you need to, like you said, if it's uh, more realistic you can get your eights and then now I don't use it anymore. I'm using it, my animation skills to really push it. Yeah. So I guess there's, um, there's this thing called a, an override layer. You heard about that? Yeah. In, in Maya. Yeah. So once I discovered the override layer, that's exactly what I did. So I would just copy all of my golden poses from my mocap and mm -hmm. a couple of key in-betweens, especially height in-betweens for weight, like the downs and stuff like that and the ups. Okay. Uh, so I'd capture a lot of those and then I would just hide the main mocap and just start tweaking all of the, um, the in-betweens myself. Just gotcha. To make it more entertaining. Okay. To me, it's all about timing as far as reality goes. If you mm -hmm. want it to feel real and look real, it's timing. Okay. Um, it's not necessarily, you can get away with a lot as far as poses go. Um, but if it's timed correctly, it'll feel real. Okay. Yeah. I noticed some of the stuff that you worked on, on the, uh, what was it called? Um, Pacific Rim. Yeah. Some big robots and monsters, things like that. So yeah, I'm a lot of that is keyframe. It's not mocap. Okay. Very cool. Uh, I, I tend to, uh, I was on the creature team on Pacific Rim. So I did all the monsters were all were all keyframed and I shot reference again for that. Very cool. Myself. And then the robots were mo-capped, but the shots I got weren't. Okay. Like I just keyframed them because we didn't have a run for that particular robot. So I just did one and then it worked out. Nice. Yeah. But I'm assuming again on those ones there, the timing has to be different to give that oh, sense of weight and all that stuff. Yeah. yeah well, they try. It's funny because... So ILM had like a year and a half to do the first Pacific Rim. Okay. And we had six months to do the second one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so that's why they wanted to do mocap, which I uh, get. Um, but it's not a matter of just stretching it out to make it feel heavy. You know, it doesn't work that way. Right. That's where you start. Uh -huh. But then you have to you have to fix all the in-betweens and hold a little longer. It's because it's basically physics, right? It, once it moves, it moves fast through the arc, just mm -hmm. like a regular arm. It just takes longer on the other end to kind of slow it down before it can change direction. So you, gotcha. you steal a couple frames from the middle and you add it on the end. Same thing with the up and down. You do the same thing. Like when he starts coming down for the step, he can go a little faster, but then he's got to take a couple frames to take that step. And as he pushes up, he takes a couple frames. But when he's coming up, you know, you can take a couple frames away. So it's, I call it surgery. Okay. Like you go in there and you kind of just tweak things a little bit. 
to get it to work, but uh-huh. you try not to destroy it too much. Otherwise, you're just going to end up animating. Motion capture is like a house of cards. You can only mess with it so much before you're just going to end up keyframing everything. <laughs> yeah, before it's no longer motion capture. Huh? Yeah. So, I mean, I worked on Beowulf back in the old days. Okay. Uh, yeah, which was an interesting experience because it was at Sony. It was Zemeckis who believed in mocap like a religion. Okay. So you didn't want to change it, but it didn't work, right? So you had to change it just enough to make it work without him noticing. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, see, motion capture works. You're like, well, I kind of. It's amazing. Yeah. (laughs) The feet were going through the floor and flipping. I mean, the the mocap team fixed all that, but we had to really spruce it up and make it entertaining. You know, dead. It looks like bad roto, like bad route back to roto. Okay. Back then, it's much better now. But back then, it, it didn't, it, it really lacked a lot of life. So we had to put all that in there. But there were four rigs in that thing. It was like the mocap rig. There was a mocap offset rig. And then there was some other mocap separate rig. And then there was an animation rig. So if mm-hmm. you wanted to animate, you had to bake all four of those rigs onto the animation rig. But you Gosh. were still carrying those four rigs around. So it was super slow? super slow uh. <laughs> yeah so i was on that show and it reminded me of back when i was on Stuart little okay back in the day about how slow everything was <laughs> yeah. well, one of the things i do love that you just you just said um because it cracks me up is that you said you know still a little bit of frames here and a little bit you know move them over here that is one of the things i've really enjoyed um kind of learning about how even in a 24 you know frames for an, a second just even one frame difference all of a sudden it's like it works now oh, you yeah. know and so it's just it's one of the things that kind of cracks me up because you never think you know one 24th of a second would make a difference and sure enough it does so when you start talking about i'm gonna take a little bit here and move it over here and amazing yeah no that's true and that's probably the note that i give the most that drives my animators crazy or like my team is like can you add a frame there and they always look at me like are you kidding me like please <laughs> Just like trust try. me yeah right please and they do and they're like i added a frame i go okay cool i love it <laughs> but it really does make a difference you it know does. If, if your character's too bouncy or you can try to tweak the curve and you know tone it down but sometimes that's not enough and all yeah. you need is just one more frame and then it works yeah yeah and that stuff really really matters and that's the hardest lesson i had to learn one of the hardest ones is that there's nothing free in CG. I know people think there is, but you're responsible for every frame, mm. every part of that character, all the way down to the fingers and the toes. Everything's your responsibility and everything has to be touched. Mm. If a control isn't touched, you're not doing your job. In general, <laughs> you know there are some controls that are in there that don't need to be touched, but in general, everything should be looked at as a drawing. I still think of it as drawings. Right. I still try to and communicate every single frame has to tell a story gotcha. it has to have a purpose or it does something right yeah. so they all matter they're all your babies that's right <laughs> hurting cats right you gotta- yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're all your kittens Take care of them. now that was um so you said you worked on pacific rim there hellboy 2 were those both at the same company or am i missing am i so I left for a while. I have a really odd career. I'll just be. I was say, I've noticed that to a degree. You've been in London. You're now in Montreal. You've been in LA, uh, New Zealand. 
Yeah. So I went to, after I went from, I went to New Zealand, I went back to LA to close a couple companies, which was trippy. It was that time when companies were closing. So you had to go there to help finish it up? No. So I went to Centropolis. They were working on Matrix 2, and then they just closed. So Mm -hmm. I was there for the big meeting, like, hey, we're no longer around. (laughs) Then I got a job at Cinesite, and I did uh, this thing with Chris Bailey, which was uh, Freddy versus Jason. It was Jason as, oh, Freddy as a caterpillar, and he was smoking a bong. It was cool. (laughs) Nobody's ever seen it. It's probably my favorite thing I've ever animated. That was cool. And then, and then they closed. They were closed. So two companies in a row shut down. Oh, man. And then I went to England and worked at Double Negative because, uh, oh, maybe that was after. I don't know. I might have been mistaken. I went there. And then I came back and I worked at Nickelodeon as a TV uh, animation director, which was okay. interesting. What were some of the projects you worked on there? Uh, I did a thing called Robot and Monster. And then I did another one called Wally Kazam, two seasons of that. Okay. What'd you enjoy about working in television? It was interesting because basically they do storyboards and then they ship them to India and then they animate it and then they send it back to me and I have to review all of their shots. So they're 22 minute episodes. Oh my goodness. There's another 11 minute episodes and there's 22 of them. I forgot what it was, but it's hours and hours of footage. Right. So that was kind of my training ground for being a supervisor was I had to review so much work in such a short amount of time. And it also made me understand money because there's only so many passes you can do Gotcha. before it doesn't become cost effective. So you learn so, to be really efficient on where you give the notes and stuff like yes, that. Yes. Right? Yeah. You target your notes, you do drawovers to be very clear and you only call back a shot. We call it a callback. You only call back a shot that you think you can fix in a day. Okay. And make it better and that you don't think they can do. So there were all these kind of criteria about um, why you could call back a shot and when. And I tried to call back as many as I could just because I knew I was fast and I could fix them in a day. Okay. But they kind of put the kibosh on that. They're like, uh, it's too many. Half. <laughs> so, yeah. But it was a lot. It was, it was fun. I learned a lot. The team was great. I learned um, – uh, I, cause I hung out with all the storyboard artists. I got to see how they work. Um, uh, I got to see how the producer works, a supervising producer. And one thing I learned there is they're all just super passionate about what they do, even though it's TV, it's just the same as film. It's absolutely yeah, yeah. zero difference. Um, and it was a super cool crew. It was great. It was one of the best experiences I've had, but I've also worked the hardest I've ever worked just okay. physically focusing. It was all about concentration. It wasn't about actually animating, but it was about learning to see animation and trying to see what to fix and how to pinpoint if you make this change, it works better. And some of the shots were just horribly broken because they're under tight deadlines. And uh-huh. so sometimes they just give you stuff just to make us happy. Um, okay. And so, yeah. Well, that's uh, one of the cool parts about having you as an instructor here is that essentially what you're doing with students here anyway. You're pinpointing areas that are working, pinpointing areas that need yeah. work, and this is how to fix it. And uh, Yeah, that's what was good about that is I learned how to actually see animation yeah, and how to fix it and how to adjust and how to communicate it that effectively. That's awesome. Um, how to speak about animation in a way that is clear and not confusing. Like, gotcha. That looks weird. <laughs> that fix it. That doesn't help, right? Uh, yeah. That looks weird. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so yeah, that was cool. And then I and then I went. Uh, I, I taught. I taught at a college for three years, three or four years, which was interesting. So got more training ground as a instructing, right? Yeah, I got a lot of training on instructing. It was um, a private college, and I had to do budgets and develop the whole curriculum. So I had to write a four-year curriculum for wow. an animation program, you know, start to finish, uh, including storyboarding and rigging and modeling and character design and the whole A to Z, which was cool for me. I got to do that and put my stamp on it, and the school's still there and doing well. Nice. Um, yeah. Now you're talking about just variety of your career. Um, that was back in LA working on the television stuff. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then I went to Buffalo, New York, to do the teaching thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. So, and then that's how I ended up in Montreal. Oh, okay. So I wanted to get back in the industry, and and I worked briefly in London again on the Pacific Rim Two stuff. Okay. And then I came back over to Montreal because that's starting to pick up. Yeah. You know, as the new hub of visual effects. Right. So, Right. So that's how I ended up here. And plus, Eamon just offered me that gig. It sounded cool. Yeah. Now, I noticed on your bio, you're head of animation and animation supervisor. How yes. is How are those differ, and what are some of your roles there? So animation supervisors, I'm just focusing on a show or all the shows. We're kind of small, so I'm in charge of all the shows right now. Okay. But if we get a big show, like we're getting um, a big creature show coming in, so I'll supervise that. Okay. Uh, a head of animation means that I uh, hire animators, I interview animators, I go over the budget, and I go over scheduling. So I have to, um, if, uh, say, a show requests three animators, I have to find those three animators, put them on the show, or I have to push back and say you can only have two. Um, and then I also do training, activities, that kind of thing, vision for the company, like where we want to go. So right now, it's part of my HOD uh, um, tasks. I'm looking at Ziva. We're developing a muscle system. Okay. Uh, and then we're also developing uh, a hair and cloth system using Houdini. So we were using Maya, but we're switching to Houdini. So that's something else that I kind of um, am in charge of and rigging. So okay. Any, I test uh, all the rigs and update all the rigs and, what are some of your deciding factors as to why to switch to a, a different uh, package? Uh, well, I try to think forward five years and what is going to be a more robust solution for the, the studio. Mm. So I'm not smart enough to make those decisions, right? So okay. <laughs> I, I ask a lot of the artists. So there's the head of um, FX. And there was a head of creature effects in London. So we all got together and I talked about what they like and what they don't like. And everybody decided they don't like Maya. They'd rather not work in Maya. And they thought Houdini was just a, a more long-term solution that could handle hair and cloth better. Gotcha. Uh, and we did this show called Lock and Key. And we had to do hair and cloth on this CG Dodge character. And it was quite difficult in Maya. And okay. then, but we had a Houdini solution that worked a little easier. Gotcha. So that's what sold me on um, going forward with Houdini. And Ziva just seems like the more robust muscle package. We looked at a couple other ones and our head rigger did some tests and they worked out really well. 
uh, and they were using it upstairs in feature animation. There's a okay. feature animation upstairs. So I work yeah. in visual effects and, and there's a feature upstairs and they used it for this film called Extinct. Okay. They had it. Yeah, so what they, they used it in a, in a cartoony way for Jiggle. Oh, so how funny. A, yeah, so they got a, it wasn't for muscles or anything. It was just for free Jiggle. Oh, nice. Characters bounce around. They kind of got this secondary. <laughs> uh, That's awesome. That, that, that was kind of, I was a bit cheeky. So when I found out they, they had Ziva licenses for that, I was like, okay. And then I, can we borrow one? Yeah. And so we borrowed one. And then um, that's how we tested for muscles. Now, this, that Ziva, is that uh, both for Maya and Houdini? So Ziva is a separate package that runs in Maya. It's basically a plugin for Maya. Okay, but you guys are looking at using it in Houdini, though. No, no, no. Ziva will run only in Maya, but then hair and cloth will be Houdini. Gotcha. That's one of the nice things about these packages. You know, they work well together. I know, uh, you know, from Alembic and things like that, moving stuff back and forth, uh, even if it's just Cache Geo, you can yeah. um, kind of work together. So that's kind of nice that you're able to use different packages and even different plugins that kind of accommodate what you need to do. Yeah, definitely. And Ziva is really good about giving you the workflow and how you're supposed to work with it, which is great. They even nice. give a chart, like you're supposed to use this cache here and this cache there and do your work here, and blah, blah, blah. And so, but it's real world based. So it's a lot of work up front. So you have to create a skeleton and the muscles and you have to build it for real. Oh, gotcha. If you want it to look real, it has to be built for real. Um, we did a test where we tried to do a quick kind of cheat and it, it didn't work. Okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, how did, how did the uh, uh, feature animation using on that? I'm sure they, because I've seen the characters that look like little donuts or something like that. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what they did. So I'm not quite sure how they okay. used it on there. I think they, there's a jiggle function in Ziva that acts like, um, there's a certain kind of muscle you can build that just jiggles. Okay, right? okay. And then on top of it, there's all these other constraints you can put on it to make it look like a real muscle. Like, to make it attached to the bone. Oh, okay, I gotcha. They just didn't do any of that. So they okay. just added this jiggle thing inside and it just bounces around. Okay. Yeah. But the stuff that you would need it for, you need it to work yeah, a little I more real. To, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. We're doing, um, we're working on a project with these seals. And so we need real fat to jiggle and move around. <laughs> it's cool. Now, do you enjoy... Um, the aspect of what you're doing there as both head of animation and um, an animation supervisor, you mentioned, you know, having to work with budget and hire and um, do you enjoy that full um, gambit of what you're, you're doing? Yeah, mostly. Some days it would seem I'd like you get, yeah, <laughs> sorry. Some days I just want to animate, you know, yeah. uh, I always try to carve like what they're okay. So my approach to supervising or HOD is I try to keep all my shots from my team that are cool, give those to them. And then I try to take all the ones nobody wants to work on. Okay. But at least I get to do stuff. There you go. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. Cause I'm thinking pros and cons. You'd, it'd be nice. Cause you're, you're learning the whole aspect of the industry, you know, yeah. in, in different portions. I'm, I'm sure that's kind of why, why you got picked up where you're at now. You weren't just a, a one trick pony, so to speak. Yeah. But on the other hand, then you're going, yeah, I don't get to animate as much. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. I always try to animate because I don't want to get, I don't know. I love it. Right. That's yeah. I, I still love it very, very much. So I have to do something, even if it's stupid, I have to do something. <laughs> there you go. Um, even if it's a car, it's like, fine, I'll animate that car. 
and I'll animate it the best I possibly can. There That's you go. Be the best car in cinema. <laughs> Yeah, I have to animate. But what I do like about supervising, it's is a big picture thing, right? So you're, it's a more part of the creative process. Okay. Um, you get to define a key part in the film overall, looking at it as a, a holistic picture of where it fits in story-wise. So how this character fits in over the entire length of the film or the series and why that character needs to work that way. So that's what I enjoy about it is this okay. storytelling point. The HOD stuff I like because I get to deal with young talent. I get to uh, I get to help steer the ship per se. So all the rigs do work for the team. They're user friendly. They, I I can pass that feedback on. So I have a bit more control over how the creatures work finally and make sure that it's uh, it it helps the team do the best work they can. That's the one reason I got into it is mostly to help control that the animators can do a good job. Gotcha. Because I always find that I always, a lot of times I'd run up against that and I found it irritating. So I wanted to get into that so I can really help the team do better work. That's which is always my goal as a supervisor is so letting the team do the best work they can. I try to be as hands off as I can. Sometimes you can't, um, but it's, that, that's really why I got into it. Gotcha. What are some of the, um, pros and cons so to speak or the challenges of the budding industry there in montreal it's weird because i i started in la right so mm -hmm. i was at the forefront of the industry as it was growing up in la right um and then i saw it shift to england first mm -hmm. which i think people forget kind of shifted to england and right i shifted with it and i I don't want to offend anybody, but I find that basically everywhere I go is five years behind where I was last time. So it was the same thing in England. I got there and they were there for five years, but they felt like they were still five years behind where Sony was. And to this day, I still think the best rigs I've ever worked on were the ones at Weta, which were ancient, right? Mm. But they were really fast, easy. I'm sure they're way better now. But anyway, so that's what I find at anywhere I move where the industry is is budding is there's growing pains. They feel like um, they just don't feel as uh, streamlined and efficient as okay. they were at the last hub. Okay. <laughs> you know, eventually by the time I left England, they were up to right. speed and, and everything was efficient, doing great work and all that other stuff. And then I came back to LA, I went into TV, so I didn't see the Vancouver experience. I didn't have that one, but I had heard from my friends the same kind of Growing um, pains. Growing pains. And now in Montreal, it's the same kind of thing, same kind of growing pains. Um, my biggest frustration with Montreal is I, I wish we got more work. Like I wish uh, the studios would trust us more with bigger projects and giving us larger chunks. Gotcha. A large number of shots. Is that I don't know if they're there yet. Is that because they know it's kind of a more in its infancy, so to speak? And I'm using the air quotes for those that are listening by audio. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know, to be honest. I mean, I think, um, not to say that you guys can't handle it. I'm just saying maybe is that the perception? It, my gut feeling says, yes, I don't have any data or anything that to, to, gotcha. to say that that's true, but I think they're still kind of testing how Montreal does. Hmm. Um, but Montreal is, is cool because it has this artistic community and it's right. been around a long time doing video games and stuff. So they're yeah. not as young as uh, people think they are. Right. You know, they've been doing this quite a bit. I know Cinecite's been there for five years. Okay. 
Uh, and then I worked at Framestore while I was in Montreal. I worked on Pikachu. Uh, okay, I saw that. Yeah. yeah, which was awesome. And their pipeline is super robust and efficient. Um, yeah, and they're quite capable. They have an amazing animation team, one of the best ones I've worked with in a very long time, except my current one. No. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, so they're super like ready to go for big shots. Um, but I know that there's, it's the whole money thing, you know, it's um, the tax incentives and London still gives good tax incentives. So, you know, the studios are smart. They'll, they'll put a, they'll put shots in London and put shots in Montreal and all that. I saw an interview with the VFX soup on um, Endgame. I forgot okay. his name. Uh, I don't know. Dan DeLue, I think. I worked with him a long time ago at RNH, I believe. And he said he had to give shots to a whole bunch of studios because it was just so much work. And it right. makes sense, right? Yeah, you don't yeah. want to dump 1,500 shots or like 2,400 shots in one studio and then yeah. hope it works out. <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot of money. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's my gut feeling is that they're still testing the waters, but it's definitely ramping up. You know, they, they want to put work here. They just... I think they're slowly kind of trickling it in and eventually it's going to be the floodgates are open and then there's, there's more work than we can handle. Now does Sanosite London, do you guys work with them as kind of one company or, and I know it's one company, but I mean, as far as one studio, so to speak, or how you guys handle stuff, um, is it? Yeah. So Sinusites, it, they're pretty cool. It's called a Sinusite group. So there's Cinecite London and Cinecite Montreal, um, but part of that group is also Cinecite Vancouver yeah. and, and Image Engine and then in Trickster in Germany. Oh, okay. I didn't know those ones. Yeah. So all of those are under the same umbrella. Interesting. Um, so Vancouver, Montreal, and London are all set to be on the same pipeline in about three months. So we can share shots. We already share shots with London. We're doing a shared show right now. So basically everything syncs. We can load their shots and work on them. They can load our shots and work on them. Very nice. And it's, it's seamless. Uh, Trickster will soon be up on that pipeline. The only one that won't be is probably Image Engine because they have a whole bunch of proprietary stuff. Mm. So it's harder to move them over. Gotcha. Okay. So, yeah. now, you said you worked on uh, Detective Pikachu. Where at? Uh -huh. Frame Store in Montreal. Okay. Yeah. Um, that looked like a very cool project to work on. Yeah, that was awesome. Okay, so what, uh, what did you enjoy about it? Uh, a couple of things. Like, so Pikachu was fun because it's Ryan Reynolds and he's mm. super sarcastic. <laughs> uh, so that was fun. So I, I got to do a couple. I was a lead on that. I wasn't a supervisor. The supervisor was in London. So uh, myself and another animator, Phil, had to kind of oversee the team in Montreal and then present the work to the Adam Soup in London and then take notes and come back. So it was this weird lead position. It's not the traditional lead position. But I was also responsible for shots. Mm. So they also gave me a ton of shots to do. Um, so that was, that was a lot So you got to work. animate a lot more than... <laughs> I got to animate a ton. More than I ever wanted to, no, but it was fun. Um, so there was a couple key Pikachu shots that I got to do, which were fun. Nice. Um, but I did mostly the A-palms bouncing around, which were these angry purple monkey things. Mm -hmm. I saw that on your reel. That was very cool. Yeah. And those were fun because they were athletic, you know, and they could um, move in a bit more cartoony way and climb and crawl. We used a lot of monkey reference, obviously. Like uh -huh. I used a ton of monkey reference. 
but at the same time they're bouncing around and pushing themselves off with their hands you know they uh, have this giant hand tail and the uh, director was pretty clear that he wanted the locomotion to come from this big hand tail not necessarily move like monkeys now notice so, there's a lot in that shot are you animating all of them or all of them wow <laughs> <laughs> How do you you start a shot like that? Are you like, okay, which one's leading it? Which one, you know? Yeah, so there's two big shots I did. The one, and they're two different experiences. So there's one where they fall down on a door. And there's a whole bunch of A-palms who push a door down and they land. And that one I thought of as a group, like that overall shape and how that lands and how it moves out. So to me, it had to be a big group that comes and lands on the door and then thrusts out and moves forward. So I thought of that graphically as one element and then broke up each doing something interesting. Okay. And I wanted them crawling over each other and using their big tail hand to like push one down so they could get ahead and all that other stuff. So I wanted them fighting each other, but, but still functioning as a group. Uh-huh. And then the second big long shot, um, it was the same kind of thing. It was, there was a main element that, that, uh, blew forward from the blast and landed and then started chasing uh, Pikachu. But then there were other elements to make it more interesting. So it, it had to look like that there were just A-palms coming out from all corners <laughs> of the shot. Um, and then one thing that I always do is I try to use as much of the environment as possible. So whatever's okay. on set, if it's a prop or if it's a wall or a chair, so in that particular shot, I tried to have them climb over every single element that was mm-hmm. in the plate. So the cages and the walls and running on the floors and then bouncing from this one high spot onto a cage, onto the floor. And then I just tried to think of them graphically. So I created this low-res poly uh, representation that was basically just a sphere with a head. And I kind of worked out the general path of where they all go. And then I tried to make it look interesting graphically from uh, like a visual visual uh, aspect about where I wanted the eye to go and how right. I wanted it to flow. So basically it's a wave if you watch it flowing through. Okay. Um, but uh, made of, of a whole different elements, like right. all the A-palms going through, yeah. Now, the uh, I like what I'm hearing in regards to the um, working with the, you know, you mentioned working with the environment. Is that is your thought process because it helps ground them in this makes them feel like they're more in that environment versus just CG elements layered on top of a a plate or something like that. Yeah, exactly. And then, uh, so one advice (laughs) I got from a senior animator a long time ago was if you, if there's ever a prop, use it. Gotcha. Like for acting, if there's a cigarette, never have your character just ignore it. Or if it's a bull or like they should interact with their environment. Um, because actors do that and if you watch films you'll see that right actors will do weird things they'll just pick up a cup for no reason look at it and put it back down Uh, so i got what's i learned that lesson i i kind of take that into everything i do so if there's anything in the plate that i can utilize i try to take advantage of that's very cool very cool um darn it i had another question on that one and i forgot it Oh, uh, the length of a shot like that with that many characters, just out of curiosity, how long was like the, the length of your shot to be able to work on that? So that was interesting. So we got that whole sequence and we had a very small team and we had to block the whole thing out. So I blocked a whole bunch of those shots and we used pretty rough animation just to get placement and size and speed. Uh-huh. And we would run that through the anim soup and then the director, the director was super awesome on that project and the VFX soup 
which is not often the case, was amazing. Okay. Uh, definitely a friend of animation because he is a he was aware of budget and time. So okay. Sort of, <laughs> uh, uh, um, so that one's different because I blocked it. And then I blocked a whole bunch of shots and then we handed them out for other animators to animate. But that one I was, I kept. Um, so I worked on that maybe a month, month and a half. Okay. I figured that would have to be a decent size shot yeah, for that. Yeah. And a lot of overtime. <laughs> <laughs> because I wanted to work on it, right? Uh -huh. so, uh -huh. And I wanted it to be good. And all the hands had to be placed and they had to be right on the wall. And, they had to push off and we had this amazing tool called a um it's called a rig physics tool hmm. which because i'm old school and i hate computers i resisted i'm not using that <laughs> um but once i i used it it was awesome so what it does is basically you animate the jump so it doesn't do anything for you you animate the jump uh you have to take the takeoff pose and then the land pose and then it just calculates what your arc should look like you know, it just shows you a visual representation of okay. what your arc should look like and what your timing should look like. But then you could pull it up or down and adjust the arc to do it artistically to make a choice. And you just hit a button and it snaps your body to that arc and it tweaks all your timing and spacing so it actually works in real world. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say, so it's like an arc tracker, but it's doing more than just that, obviously. It's, it's not just gravity. And it uh, also assigns a center of gravity, which is cool, right? Interesting. So the APOMs had a big old giant head. So the center of gravity is not at the hip. It's at his neck because mm. his head's so big. Okay. So you've got <laughs> so that kind actually, of balance there, huh? Yeah. So it kind of calculates based on that center of gravity, not on your hip. Gotcha. And it looks at gravity and it tweaks your timing a little bit. Interesting. It was, a, it was a really helpful tool. But the thing is, it doesn't give you anything. You still have to do the jump and figure out artistically where all that goes. Yeah. Um, and if you increase the arc, it tweaks your timing in such a way that now – all the stuff that happens after that particular jump, you have to tweak as well. Gotcha. So there's a lot of massaging that you have to do with it, but it was a super helpful tool. Gotcha. Especially with that shot. Because, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. The VFX soup was about physics, right? Uh -huh. He was the one who wrote that tool or he developed it. So he would make you show that shot with that tool to make sure <laughs> everything was everything working like was that. Huh? Like, yeah. Which was that's, cool. That's why I resisted it at first. I'm like, oh, computers. Yeah, but I'm an animator, after, darn it. Yeah, I know what I'm doing. I know an arc. It showed me how off my arcs were. <laughs> like, okay, you're right. <laughs> that's one of the things I enjoy about you know this aspect. I remember, um, I think it was Richard Lico, one of uh, our former game instructors, worked on Halo and such. Um, he, you know, again going back to motion capture. He was like, I didn't resist it. He goes, it was one of those things that helped me learn great body mechanics because I had to watch it over and over and over again. So when I did keyframe animation, I was, I was very familiar with it, you know, in a 3D environment, not just a you know flat 2D reference. But I can see on something like that where you're looking at it and you're like, oh, okay, my arc, my arc's off here. This is what it should be. And now you're muscle memorizing that into your mind so that you, you know, not, don't always need uh, that per se, you yeah. know? Yeah, absolutely. I had the same experience on motion capture. Like once you do motion capture, you see what the curves look like. I'm a nerd. So I would look at the curves a lot and I'm like, why is it? How's that hip moving? What's that curve look like? Mm. And I still to this day will tweak my curves in such a way where they kind of resemble what 
that curve looks like in motion capture if I need something real. And it is very helpful and it does work. Gotcha. Yeah. So once you start understanding how real world motion uh, is graphically displayed in a graph editor, you can mimic that to tweak your poses and it gives you that, that realistic timing. It's the same thing with the arc. Yeah. Once you run that tool over and over and over again, you can kind of predict what it's going to give you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you, you've trained yeah. your mind now to look that for that. Yeah. So by the end of production, the, the more I ran it, it didn't tweak my arc that right. much. I could see that. Minutely. Uh, and so it didn't affect the animation after as much. So I wasn't afraid to use it, especially mm. on that shot. I would just use it because I knew it might tweak my animation one or two frames after, but that's it. It's not that far off. Yeah. Um, but it is nice because it, it, it helped my workflow. I didn't have to work as hard. It gave me that. And then I can move forward and do other things like fingers and face expressions because I did a whole bunch of goofy face expressions that you can't see. <laughs> nice. That was another shot where I would do all this goofy stuff that you can't see in the blur because it was entertaining. <laughs> Dragging jaws, tongue sticking out, stuff like that. At least getting to enjoy your, your job animating it, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was a great shot. That was fun. Very cool. Um, you've been, like I mentioned earlier, one of our creature uh, animation instructors. What is it that you enjoy working in animating creatures you know you've been uh, in the industry for quite uh, a long time doing this stuff yeah, here so what is it that you still enjoy about it and teaching it uh so i love i'm like a weirdo about weight and heavy things i like big heavy scary monster thingies mm. um and that's really only in creature the only feature animation i've seen that that i was interested in was uh monsters inc and it was sully because he's big and gotcha heavy. And that was the first time I've seen a feature animation. I'm like, oh, that looks heavy. Like, that's cool. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, I like I like big heavy things, uh, and that's what attracts me to creatures. Gotcha. And still getting to work with the performance and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah storytelling. Yeah. I'm big into storytelling. I've always been attracted to like visual effects films. Um, I like animation. I like feature animation, but I love. Uh, creatures more that's just mm. my thing I was a big Ray Harryhausen fan um, I was a big Phil Tippett fan okay I got to work with um, I always forget his name Ugh, another big stop-motion guy Randy Cook okay he's gonna kill me if he hears that I forgot <laughs> his name uh, and he was an inspiration he was the first guy who really told me my animation was garbage okay <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if he meant that good or bad, but it made me rethink everything, you know, okay. and try even harder. So, uh -huh. yeah. so, uh, <laughs> tough love. <laughs> yeah, tough love. He's a tough love dad. Uh, but he's an inspiration, you know, because he's a stop motion guy. So I was big into stop motion, big into um, even my the cartoons I like the most are those Rankin based Christmas specials. You know, they're all goofy and uh -huh. stop motion y. Yeah. So I like that stuff. And that's, I think, like creatures. And then I like Kong. I like dinosaurs, mm. trolls. Yeah. Uh, that's why I asked for a troll when I was at Weta. I'm like, I'll do whatever you want. I just want one troll shot. <laughs> like, Fine, you can have one. Yeah. And it also seems like you get a large variety in your, in that part of the industry, you know, from uh, movie yeah. to movie. It's pretty different. I mean, I was looking at your bio, you were on Ant-Man and Wasp and then, you know, Pikachu and, uh, obviously, you know, uh, multiple different creatures and uh, yeah. Detective Pikachu, you know, um, Pacific Rim obviously had its different creatures and stuff like that. So it seems like a good variety of different types of animation yeah. style, not style, but, um, 
how you apply it. Yeah, I never get bored. And that's another reason uh, I'm a big fan of saying that animation is animation because I've done cartoons with Open Season. Uh-huh. Uh, I've done mocap with Beowulf all at the same studio. So in nine months, I did Open Season, Narnia, and Beowulf. Yeah, wow. Oh, no, no. Sorry, Monster House. All three of those. So Open Season was straight cartoony animation. Uh, Narnia was straight VFX, but character animation. I did the beavers and the wolf. Yeah. And then Monster House was motion capture cartoony animation. So <laughs> that was in nine months. <laughs> I did three different shows, three different styles, uh, three different kinds of notes, right? Because the cartoony things, you're getting different notes yeah. uh, than you are in the Narnia stuff. And that's what I like about it is I get to do a whole bunch of things. Hop was very different than Paul. I did Paul and then right after I did Hop. Mm. So yeah, I never get bored. And the nice thing about uh, creatures is you do get to do the little fast things like eight palms where you can get away with a whole bunch of stuff. Uh. And then you get to do giant robots and creatures where you can't get away with anything because you can see every frame because they move so slow. <laughs> but they still have to be heavy. Yeah. <laughs> have you been enjoying... Good, huh? I was just going to say with Netflix, it's even more interesting because now they're, you know, they, they take chances as far as like some of the creatures, the shadow creatures were probably wouldn't be in a film that way just because they're kind of the secondary character, but they're important, but they're for one episode, but they spent a lot of time and money making them look really, really good. The level oh. is the same as film. Nice. It's not the old days where TV, you could get away with it. Netflix doesn't work that way. Gotcha. They expect, yeah, they expect they expect Game of Thrones quality <laughs> so, or film quality. You know, yeah. they expect high end stuff, so which is cool. Very cool. Um, you've been at Montreal for how long? Three years, three and a half years. Okay, enjoying it. Feel like yeah, that's home it. now. Yeah. Well, nothing's ever home. I'm a, I'm a uh, citizen of the world. <laughs> <laughs> You never know where you're going to end up in this business. Right? Uh, I've been to Weta. I mean, I've been in New Zealand, in London, L.A., Montreal. Apparently, Germany and Australia are next on the list, <laughs> you know. So, yeah, Montreal's super cool. It's very artsy. Reminds me of New York, in a way. Okay. Uh, a lot of street art. Everybody here is heavily tattooed and friendly and metropolitan. And there's a metro. And, yeah, so it's, it's very cool. I don't like winter. Yeah, I like snow. <laughs> I was uh, visiting Jason right up there <laughs> about November, and it was getting starting to get really cold. And he's like, uh, "You wait." Yeah, no, it's brutal. <laughs> I was born and raised in LA, so I still say to this day, "This I'm just not built for it." Yeah, SoCal's yeah. a little bit different winters then. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you don't have to think about what you're wearing when you go. Out. Yeah. You just go outside. If you want to grab a sweatshirt, you can grab a sweatshirt, and that's it. Yeah, but it's for fashion. You want to look cool. <laughs> Montreal, you're layering up, huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah the winters get rough. This one wasn't so bad. Knock on wood. Last one was brutal. I see. Like that last year was pretty bad, right? Oh, my God. It was all ice everywhere. Just okay. slipping and sliding. It was an ice rink. <laughs> yeah. You're a no hockey fun. stick. No bueno. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Scott, I really do appreciate your time. It's It's been too long that not getting you on this. And also I was looking, I'm like, man, we haven't had one with you on here. And uh, looking at your latest reel, it was really cool. And the fact that, you know, we get guys like you who are currently up at the top echelon of 
you know, big studios like this and being able to teach our students is a, a neat opportunity. So um, I enjoy getting to talk with you guys and uh, pick your brain and um, hope everybody else does. So uh, again, appreciate your time on this. Oh, thank you. Anytime, man. It was fun. Awesome. All right. Stay safe and uh, we'll look forward to another time here, man. All right. You too. Thanks. Okay. Take care. Take care.